0: This morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Numbers chapter 11 verses 1 through 7. Numbers 11 verses 1 through 7. Now when the people, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the, some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving, so the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like corridor seed, and its color like the color of bedellum.
1: Well, I was going to say that Jeff forgot to mention Julie traveling. I didn't expect her back today. I don't know what I was thinking. But she's here with us, so uh, our prayers have been answered. She made it safely. We're going to be noticing uh, Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 25, uh, as uh, the passage for our sermon this morning. Uh, on September the 14th, 1885, a young lady. I believe she was about 22 years old, by the name of Lizzie Bourne of Kennebuck, Maine. She died from exposure on Mount Washington in New Hampshire. Uh, a memorial of a few stones were gathered together and placed there to mark uh, the place where she had uh, lost her life. Eventually that gave way to a pyramid of rough stones with a, a stone slab placed on top of it. But along with two relatives, Lizzie uh, tried to climb Mount Washington without a guide. Now, Mount Washington is just over 6,000 feet tall, but the way uh, the, the terrain is, it is absolutely a dangerous climb. Several people have died over the years trying to climb that mountain alone, but because of her youth and uh, the circumstances surrounding uh, her death, she's the one who is more well-known. But at any rate, they tried to climb the mountain, and by the time night fell, they hadn't gotten to the summit, or at least they uh, uh, didn't know how close they were to the summit, and they became discouraged. It became very cold. Gale-force winds began to beat up on them, and they became very confused about their location. So in uh, the, the state of discouragement in which they found themselves, and distress, they just kind of sat down. Well, over the course of the night, Lizzie died of exposure. She froze to death up on that mountain. But when the sun rose the next morning, those who were with her saw that they were just a few hundred yards away from the house at the summit. Tip Top House was a place where... They could have been warmed by the fire. It was a place where they would have been safe and protected from the icy death of the mountain. But what prevented them from making their way over to Tip Top House? Well, in a word, if we had to boil it down to a word, was discouragement. Uh, One of the things that contributed to her death, at least, was that their inability to get where they needed to be because they felt hopeless in that. In the text before us this morning, uh, as we read verses 1 through 25, you will notice that it talks about discouragement and how one of the greatest men who ever lived was almost overcome with it. As Moses climbed the mountain of leading God's people, he became discouraged because of the burdens he carried. He became confused at times. He became overwhelmed at times. And because of those burdens and the discouragement that comes with them, he got to a place where he just wanted to throw in the towel. He just simply wanted to quit. He wanted to stop being what God needed him to be. Maybe the question ought to be to each of us, have you ever felt that way? I have. I know you have as well. In fact, some of us may be in that position even today. But what do we do? Do we stop? Do we simply throw in the towel and give up? Well, as we look at the events that unfolded in the life of Moses, we can learn the truths that we need to learn to prevent that from happening. So we can continue to fight the good fight of faith and fight the battles of discouragement that we come up against every single day. The title of the sermon this morning is, That's It, I Quit. Because I think that Moses had gotten to the point in his life where he said, That's it, I quit. I'm finished. I'm done. Now, that's the title not because that's what we ought to do. That's the title because we want to figure out how to not get to that point. But before we do that, Let's discover what God says about quitting. I believe if we discover what He wants us to understand about quitting, it can help all of us, even if we aren't discouraged at the moment. Moses wanted to quit because of all the burdens that he felt like God had placed upon him, those that he carried, those that he faced on a daily basis. As those things added up, he allowed himself to become discouraged. That's not what we want to do. But in the middle of his job, he wanted to quit. And so it may help us to look at what that man faced in this life. So Moses became discouraged because of, first, we're going to notice some problems. That's our first point. One of the problems that Moses faced, we're going to read in verses 1 through 9 of our passage, was people problems. People problems. Uh, Have you ever noticed that the only problems in the world are the result of people? People problems, right? The nation of Israel was comprised of nothing but whiners and complainers. That's all they were. They were never satisfied with anything. And after a while, I believe that would drive anyone over the edge of discouragement. It certainly got to Moses. Anytime any two people or more have a relationship, there is always a potential for problems, right? Because people are people. And if you deal with people in this life, you're going to have some problems from time to time. One writer penned this, and it's been so long since it uh, was in circulation. The uh, uh, No one knows who wrote it. But he or she wrote this. They said, To live above with saints we love, Oh, won't that be glory? But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And that can be true sometimes, can't it? Sometimes we can get on one another's nerves, but how can we overcome that? What can we do to overcome those things? Well, we need to love like Jesus loved, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. We need to forgive like God wants us to forgive, Ephesians four thirty-two, And we need to pray for each other every single day. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray that God will bless our efforts and that if we're not behaving properly that we will begin to behave properly. But when we look at these complainers that we are reading about in Numbers 11, which is just one example of the many that we have in that book, they were upset at Moses because all they had to eat was this manna that God provided them. And of course, they didn't like it. After a while, and I don't know that they were too far into their journey back out into the wilderness, they got tired of that manna. It was just dull and boring, and they began to think about all the wonderful foods that they had back in Egypt, the onions and the leeks and and all of those things. And, you know, they tried every way that they knew how to make that manna taste better. No doubt about it. They, They baked it, they ground it up, they did all sorts of things. But it never really worked out to suit them, and they griped and they whined and they complained even more. Have you ever tried to get children to eat something that they looked at and they didn't like the idea of eating it, whether they'd ever tasted it or not? And you put that spoon up there and you say, well, give it a try, and they make that awful face and they curl their mouths and and they maybe even begin to cry a little bit because they don't want to put that gross thing in their mouth. Now, I want you to imagine three million people doing that all at the same time. You see, that's what Moses was facing. He was facing that. And we're going to face some problems in this life where we do not like what is happening at the present. We're going to face maybe medical bills, employment problems. Uh, there may just be too much month and not enough check by the time we get a couple of weeks into the month. Either way, let's be reminded of something that Moses forgot. Moses forgot something that was very important that would have prevented him or at least would have helped alleviate his discouragement. It was God's responsibility to feed the people. God was going to take care of that. God would solve the problem, not Moses. Moses didn't have the answer to the problem, but God had the answer to the problem. Now, People made it difficult for him, but we have to keep in mind that God asked Moses to lead the people, not feed the people. All he had to do was lead them. Get out in front, take them where they needed to be. God will bless his people. Now, it's not going to be with manna from the sky today, but nonetheless, he will bless those who work hard and do their best to take care of themselves and their families. God's going to bless the faithful. We shouldn't forget that. Have you ever known a person or have it happen to you that it seemed like they just weren't going to be able to make it through any particular type of a situation for whatever reason? But in the end, you did. You made it through that situation. Going in, you looked at it and you said, There's no way... I can overcome this, but you overcame it, and you're here today. Now, it may not be exactly what we want in our overcoming, right? But it'll get us through. It's just like the children of Israel. They didn't like the manna. They got bored with the manna, but it fed them, kept them strong, and it worked. They might have wanted better. But let's look at their situation. Let's back up a few years from that point. They were crying and whining and complaining about manna. They had an opportunity to go into the land of promise that flowed with milk and honey. you recall that uh, bunch of grapes that the men carried back home and, or back to the camp and showed the people two men had to carry it on a, on a staff because the grapes were so big? And they came back and said, Surely it is a land that flows with milk and honey, but we just simply can't go in and take it because the the people of the land are too strong. You see, they had an opportunity to eat something besides manna. They would have never tasted manna. God would have never had to have fed them with manna if they had just simply gone in and done what He asked them to do. But they did not And so when you don't do what God asks, He'll get you through sometimes if you repent of your sins in your life he'll bless you he'll let you come back but the the answer may not be exactly everything you want right That's what i used to tell young young men i would talk to them they'd be uh, displeased with a job that they had and they wanted to quit their job and then go look for another one i said look you don't ever quit a job till you find a job may not be what you want may not be what you want to retire from but it's a job and it'll help get you where you need to be And that's what they needed to understand. Paul encouraged his readers this. Philippians 4, beginning with verse 6. He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be uh, known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean we're not to be concerned about life events. What that means is let's not waste our time being concerned about things that is not within our power to affect. What was Moses going to do about these people complaining about manna? Nothing. It wasn't in his power to do anything about it. That was God's responsibility, and God would handle it. Moses faced people problems. But I want us to notice, he had some very personal problems too. We're going to notice in verse 10. Because of that great weight... Moses allowed himself to become utterly discouraged. Our text says in verse 10, he was also displeased. Now that word displeased comes from a word that means to be broken into pieces. To be broken into pieces. Have you ever dropped a a coffee mug and it break into a million pieces it seems? Well that's what this word displeased means. Moses almost allowed himself to become a broken man. He was having, or was on the cusp of a breakdown because of the stresses and the pressures, and it was getting too much for him, or at least that's what he thought. If we aren't careful, that can happen to any of us. It happened to Moses. We're reading about it in Numbers 11. It happened to Elijah, 1 Kings 19, didn't it? He said, I'm the only one, just take my life. Didn't it happen to Jonah and Jonah 4 when, when he sat down and he was so angry with God and with the whole circumstances that he just wanted to die? We're going to notice that is the same attitude Moses was having. It can happen to them. It can happen to anyone if we're not paying attention. Like Moses, though, sometimes we allow the problems we face to become bigger than God. Now, they're not bigger than God, but we make them out to be Bigger than God. And any time that happens, we're in danger of breaking down. We're in danger of losing something within ourselves that we want to hang on to. Now we have to remember, any problem we face in this life has the potential to be greater than what we can handle on our own. Any problem has that potential. And we're going to face some problems in this life that we cannot handle on our own. But since that's the case, we have to keep our eyes on God. We have to communicate with God. We have to take our worries and our problems to God, and we have to let Him handle those things that are His responsibility. We have to do all we can do, and He will take care of the rest. That's exactly what He did when David stood against Goliath, wasn't it? David did all he could do. He went out with a handful of rocks. He went out with a sling. And he slew the giant. Now, under any normal circumstance, would that have happened? Probably not. But because of David's great faith and his great effort in trying to do what God needed him to do, God blessed him. Because Moses had what he thought, or had gotten to what he thought was the end of his rope, he was looking for a place to get off. And he faced those problems. And then he proclaimed his thoughts to God, that's our second point. Moses was distraught, and he was confused, and he asked why. In fact, he spoke to God in what I felt like, or feel like, was an angry tone. He asked this question. His why was phrased this way. He said, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? We see that in verse 11. See, Moses just could not grasp the why of the situation. He couldn't get his mind around it. He couldn't come to the understanding of why me. I think maybe he'd spent a little too much time with the complaining Israelites and he'd kind of fell into that uh, mindset of why me? Well, why not you? Why not? going to happen to somebody. Why not you? Right? Well, he just couldn't grasp that. And when we put the whole passage together, it's as if Moses was saying, These are your people. I didn't give birth to them. Why are you burdening me with their problems? They're not mine. But see, Moses failed to remember the details of what was God's responsibility and what was Moses' responsibility. Again, we go back to the idea. Moses was to lead the people, not feed the people. God would handle that. Now, there's never it, it, there's nothing wrong in asking why sometimes, right? But we have to keep a few things in mind. We have to understand some things. First, there is no good answer to our why questions. They're just not. Why did I lose somebody? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? We're never going to have a satisfied answer to our why questions. Second, we need to view trouble in a different way. Instead of asking why, maybe we just simply need to address the problem in the way God would have us to address the problem, right? Right? because there are other folks in the world facing those same problems and they might be able to be encouraged by our actions. Third, again, maybe the question should be, why not? What makes me so special that I should not have to face difficulty and learn from those difficulties in this life? And because of it, become a better Christian. Notice what James said, James 1 beginning verse 2. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Didn't Jesus say that we could expect trouble in this world if we were going to be faithful to Him? John sixteen Didn't Job say that in this life we ought to expect a little trouble, Job 14.1. Well, if that is the case, and it is, maybe we shouldn't expect to live a trouble-free life. Maybe Moses expected too much. Maybe he was trying to take too much upon himself without allowing God to handle his part. Jesus said, we're going to have some trouble. And when we face problems maybe we shouldn't proclaim so much confusion maybe we ought to simply give thanks that it's not worse than what it is 1st Thessalonians 5:18 that might be the route moses was confused but here's something else that that i believe affected moses and and sent him to the breaking point i think moses felt comfortless I don't think he felt like he could be comforted. He was confused and he didn't have comfort. And now in verse 15, we're going to see that it's as if Moses gave God an ultimatum. And that's never a good idea, to give God an ultimatum. If you're going to continue to put this burden upon me, we might paraphrase it, just take my life instead. Just kill me. Well... If you get to the point where you feel like you're better off dead than alive, you can't find much comfort in this life. And Moses had reached the point where he was ready to resign his duties back to God. Just take my life. I can't go any further. And in fact, I don't want to go any further. That's it. I quit. Now, that's not what happened. But the truth is the issues of life can sometimes become so overwhelming that we want to quit. And I think that is a normal thought process to have. Now the problem arises is when we do quit, right? Notice Matthew 26, 39. We see the Lord is in the garden and He went a little further in and He's pleading and He's praying and He pleads with the Father. He begs Him, please Take this cup from me. But he also said, Not my will, but thine be done. See, it only becomes a problem if we give in to that thought process. It's okay to think it. It's okay to feel like it. It's okay to be overwhelmed from time to time. But Jesus went to the cross even when he didn't want to. So what gave Moses the right to say, I quit? Well, he didn't. He came to understand that. When we face problems in this life and they're handled properly, meaning we do our part, God will provide for His people, and He provided for Moses. That's our third and final point. In verse 16 and 17, we read where God gave the authority for Moses to select the order of the 70 men, the 70 elders. Moses had gone to God. He had proclaimed that he couldn't do it on his own. He needed some help, and so God gave him the authority to select 70 men. So instead of being the sole leader among uh, the people, God gave him the assistance of seven elders among the tribes, men who had proven themselves in leadership capacities. And so now we see that leadership is shared, and that's always the best kind of leadership. We see that in the Lord's church, don't we? We have one head, that's the Christ, Jesus, Colossians 1.18. He's the head of the church, or the head of the body, which is the church. And we see something very similar in the, uh, among the Israelites. Moses was the head of those people, but now he had some help. He had some leadership. Uh, some people with leadership ability to help him. Christ is the head of the church, but within each congregation he has ordained a uh, plurality of elders to help lead the congregation. And so I think we see the application in our own lives is that if we need help, it's going to be there. What's one of the great blessings of being a Christian? Fellowship one with another. If we need help, help is normally there if we need it and we asked for it. It'll help us to get through our rough times. But God is still in control of our lives. So we see that He provided the order of the 70. Now let's look at the 70. They obeyed the instruction, didn't they? They did their part. They were going to have to do something if it was going to help Moses. We see that in verses 24 and 25. The, the 70 was anointed by God and they obeyed His commandments and God anointed them with the same Spirit. In fact, Moses recorded for us God saying, I will take from your Spirit and give to them. Now, we need to understand exactly what he's talking about. He wasn't taking Moses' abilities and now Moses was something less than what he was. That was just a way for the people to understand that... the Seventy would receive the same abilities in their areas that Moses had. It's kind of like when we get over to the New Testament and the apostles having all the nine gifts would impart a gift to someone. That didn't make them any less uh, of an apostle. Their abilities less, but it gave that person an ability in a particular area. And I think that's what's happening here with the seventy. We have to be aware, though, that, again, God has blessed us with the fellowship within the church. I think it is important to always remember, just like with the uh, 70, God does not expect us to seek help from sources He does not appreciate. Where did Moses go? What did God instruct him to do? You find 70 faithful leaders of the congregation of Israel, and you bring them out. That doesn't mean we can't receive uh, advice from someone who is a, who's wise in a certain area that may not be a Christian, but we don't want to be like Israel was when they had made it into the promised land and they began to team up into partnership with those nations around them instead of relying upon God. We've been studying through the minor prophets, or we just finished up that study, and and that was one of the main problems, wasn't it? They wanted to partner with people with whom they should not have partnered. See, God got the faithful to help Moses, and the faithful will help us. That doesn't mean, again, we can't receive help from someone who's not a Christian. But we want to base our uh, faithfulness in God. What are we going to do when we hit the end of our ropes? If we're like Moses in that particular moment of time, We're going to be looking for a place to get off. We're going to look for someone else to handle the problem. That isn't what God expects of His people. That's not what He wants and that's not what He expects. He expects His people to handle the situation properly and to rely on Him and be faithful. I think Moses did the best thing he could have done when he reached what he thought was his breaking point and he took it to God, he turned to the Father of Heaven and he asked for some help. And God provided that help for him. I think that's the right answer every time we face a problem in this life is to ask God for His help and see what He says about it. After all, according to Peter, He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In 2 Peter 1, 3, we just simply have to search it out. But it's there for us. If you never obeyed the Gospel, I don't see anyone here who hasn't. But we need to understand and need to be able to explain to people what that plan of salvation is. And we need to be able to point them into the right direction in the Bible. Not just because we go through it and we've memorized it. And we need to. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, and faithful living. Well, we need to point them to the Bible where it says that. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Talking about God, Hebrews eleven six. Repentance is absolutely necessary. Acts 2.38, repent and then be baptized. It doesn't matter what we do if we don't repent, turn our lives around, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8.37 and learning and understanding what that does for us, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it brings us unto salvation. Finally, being immersed in water so our sins can be washed away, Acts 22.16, and then living that faithful life. All the way to the end, Second Timothy 4, 6-8. through 8. Now, Sometimes we get off track, and I think we just read about a time when Moses had gotten off track just a little bit. And that's going to happen. But we need to be able to overcome that, and we have to recognize it when it does happen. So when it does happen, we need to repent of the sins in our lives. We need to confess them to God, maybe publicly if that's necessary, and then pray to God and ask Him to forgive us, and He will. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.